I know I wasn't facing that, tra- that, that trauma. I wasn't facing it. I was just like where I was in that stage of my life, I was definitely letting my shadow behaviors kind of run the show. And especially in like my relationships and that sort of thing. And so I feel like that experience was for me to like have it in my face and be like, you need to deal with this, you know, (laughs) like. Life is gonna give you challenges, struggles. It's gonna force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be It's how we learn and now it's your turn Let's get Welcome to the University of Adversity Hey everybody, welcome back to the show Super grateful to have you guys here today My next guest is an adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse She has led a life full of depression, anxiety, PTSD, suicidal thoughts, hopelessness, and migraines. She has overcome these obstacles with the help of psychedelics and holistic lifestyle changes and wants to share her journey with others to inspire the hopeless that there is hope. Her name is Jenica Torres, and she's one of my um, one of my fellow members from the Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Mastermind that I'm in, one of the features. And what I was really interested about from getting her on the show, what I was really interested about was her story. And um, when I learned about it and I learned and I went a little bit deeper with it, when she was telling me what she's gone through, I knew that this would be a powerful episode, right? So she's she's been able to get through a lot of hard times. Childhood sexual abuse is one of the hardest things. And to be able to face that and to go in and and you know, get on the path of healing that is never an easy task. And she's been able to, to do that. And she's been able to do that with plant medicine and psychedelics. She wanted me to make it clear though, after we recorded to just really just give caution to everybody listening to you guys like that. This stuff is no joke, right? Psychedelics are no joke just because you have depression or you've gone through trauma that doesn't mean that you need psychedelics it really you really just need you you have to do your research and you have to be called to doing this medicine they we talk about it a lot and you have to get the call it shouldn't be a forced thing if you feel it's for you great but we're not at all condoning psychedelics or plant medicine i just want to be clear with that is that we're just educating you and giving you a story that has helped this particular person and Jenica, um, she's got a lot out of this. And there's there's no denying that this stuff needs to be talked about. There's a lot of people suffering. And if there's a way that we can fix this stuff through this, through these psychedelics, holistic lifestyle changes, whatever that may be, other than just giving medication to people, then we need to explore that. And I'm happy to be the one to help because this is about adversity. This is about helping people get through adversity. And sometimes we, you have to think outside the box that we're in, their society that we're in, to get the help you need. So, again, do your own research as always. Don't take everything what we say for you know. Just take it for what it is, and always look into it. And really, 
um, get curious and learn about this stuff because the, the more I learn about it, the more I know that I have to learn. And it's really, really interesting. So I know you guys will get a lot out of this. Make sure to listen to it right till the end because we do cover a lot and I don't want you to miss anything, okay? When you guys at the end, if you can leave us a review on Apple, it would really, I'd really appreciate it. And as always, guys, make sure to subscribe. When you subscribe, you get to stay on top of all the episodes. You don't miss anything, okay? So coming right up, Jenica, coming right up, Jenica Torres. And we're live. Jenica, how's it going? Good. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so good. I'm really excited because we haven't really got to talk very much um, through this whole thing. Like you said, you're a bit of an introvert and, you know, it tends to be within our group, the same kind of people like to talk and, you know, and that just kind of reminds me of just in school in general too. You know, it's usually the the person, the louder people or the, some of the people take over and some other people don't really get to speak a lot. And that's why I'm really excited to have you because I know you have a powerful story and it's, you know, this is something that I'm super, super curious about. And it's been something that's been coming to my mind more and more. And I've been like wanting to talk about it more because each, every time I talk about it, it interests me even more. And this whole talk about plant medicine, being able to heal, being able to get into like those spots that you haven't been able to really lean into and discover the darkness and allow that to pass through. So it's fascinating. And this is still super new for me. So again, welcome. And I can't wait to hear your story. <laughs> Where's, uh, what, let's kick it off with just finding out where you're at right now. What's going on? How's, how's everything been the last couple of months? And you know, what are your thoughts on everything? Um, all right. So I live in Arizona, um, a little community, Lake Havasu City, which is right on the border of California, Arizona. Um, the last couple of months have been a little nuts with this pandemic going on. But in my particular town, it hasn't really been taking things very seriously. So you don't really feel the effects as much out here as you would maybe if you're in like a denser city. Um, but it's still crazy. I mean, the grocery stores are nuts and everybody's wearing their masks and everything. And it's a very... Um, geriatric population out here and so you can feel like the tension in the air but there's still like everybody's out partying on the lake and drinking and getting crazy so there's it's like a weird dynamic going on right now is anybody uh, sick out there like is anybody actually <laughs> not really we've had a couple of cases but um is our hospitals aren't really the best and they they weren't testing properly in the beginning and so like who really knows what the numbers are and yeah. whatever but my boyfriend actually works in the hospitals here and he says that it's it's not as bad as they're making it seem hmm. interesting yeah. yeah it's what a what an interesting situation <laughs> yeah it's crazy because everybody's in a different position with this thing you know like it's in where I'm in, in Vancouver, Canada, it's, it seems almost the same, you know, things are shut down a little bit, but it's not, well, obviously yeah, the, the restaurants and like, you can still go to the grocery store and all that, but just the feel of it. I mean, people are still going and doing stuff and it's, it's not like there are some places where you hear about in Europe where it's like you're locked down or I have a friend in Panama. And they can't even live, they can't even leave for like a week at some, at some points. Like it's crazy. 
Yeah, it's nuts out there for sure. I feel this whole pandemic made me feel very fortunate and blessed to be where I'm at and to be exactly where I am, both location-wise and like mental health and physical health and everything. Like I'm just very grateful in this time. Yeah, gratitude is going to be something that people are going to really discover when things, especially when you you get the small things taken away that you take for granted so much. And then you realize, oh shit, I really like that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I took it for granted. And then when you get it back, there's going to be a lot of gratitude. It's kind of like when you travel and you're expecting things to be, if you've never traveled to a third world country or somewhere that's really different, you're expecting things to be the same as where you're from. And then you're shocked and you're like, oh man, I missed that. Mm-hmm. And when you get back home, you realize you're like, oh, yes. And uh, I, I, I like that about it. I think the message is people are going to be a lot more grateful about for the little things and social time and all that. So it's, uh, yeah, crazy. Yeah, for sure. I'm already feeling it myself. I hope yeah. others join, get on the bus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's, um, let's take things back. I know you have a pretty powerful story. And I haven't heard you tell it yet. And I'm excited because I know that sometimes these things, you know, yeah, I mean, it can be challenging sometimes. So I'm really excited. So why not take us back to when you were growing up, walk us through what it was like for you growing up. And from that, maybe what was one of the biggest challenges while growing up you faced that had the biggest impact on your life. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So like you mentioned earlier, I'm pretty shy, quite introverted type of a person. And I've just recently been starting to share my story. So like I can already feel myself getting a little nervous um, trying to talk about it. So um, bear with me. But I had a very uh, traumatic childhood actually. And um, there's like layers upon layers and there's like traumas within traumas and things like that. But, um, on the surface, like on the outside looking in, it looks like I had a very nice upbringing. I grew up in a very beautiful area, Santa Barbara, California, right on the coast. Um, but growing up, um, my dad, he had, he left us when we were babies. I was only two years old and my mom, she moved us to Santa Barbara cause that's where her family's from. And we moved in with my grandma and her newly married husband, so my step-grandfather. And it was me, my mom, and my brother, my older brother. Um, He's only 16 months older than me. And um, from the time I was three until I was 13, I was uh, sexually abused by my step-grandfather. And because I lived with him, it was a very – it happened a lot (laughs) – Um, So a lot of my childhood is in dissociation and I actually don't have a lot of solid memories from my childhood. I just have like overall feelings and experiences from there. Um, And so I know in my experience that the abuse was happening for as long as I can remember. Like I don't remember the very first incident, Um, but I, I do, um, I do remember being very small and having a lot of anger and I didn't know how to express what was happening to me as well as my step-grandfather like threatening 
for us to stay quiet. He abused my brother as well. He abused my brother physically and he abused me physically and sexually. And um, so I was always scared to like speak out against it, but I feel like I had tried in the ways that a child can, you know, we don't have the vocabulary to express what's happening to us. And in the ways that we try to express things, it doesn't come to the parents or, you know, your, your, the people that love you because when you look at such a small child, like, and they're saying that their privates hurt, you think, oh, they must have a rash or they, something's, you know, like you don't, your first thought isn't like, what's happening? Somebody is abusing this child. And so I became very angry and I started um, acting out as a kid and my behavior got so bad that my mom ended up moving me to live with my dad in Virginia. Um, so across the country and it turned into like its own abusive situation um, because he had just recently married my stepmother and she was not a nice person and she was pretty much the quintessential evil stepmother. And um, right when I moved in, she had just given birth to my half brother. And so I was like this threat coming in, you know, and just like, you know, I'm ruining her, her moments of being a new mom and all this. And, she knew I was a problem child, like that's why I was living with my dad. So they came in on me like really hard with the rules and regulations and like church and all of this stuff, just trying to like get me straight or whatever. But their tactics weren't very nice. <laughs> and my grandparents came to visit um, during the summer and they noticed how harsh they were being with me and how it wasn't really a great environment for a little girl to be in. And so they offered to take me in and live with them in Arizona. And so um, I was going to live with my grandma. And then my aunts decided to take me in instead. And she was homeschooling my cousins. And so I was homeschooled with them. And that was really a turning point in my life. It was the first time in my childhood that I felt like I could actually be a kid and like explore. And I, it was the first time I was in like dance classes and first time I started getting good grades in school and stuff and and so my behavior changed and my mom saw that I was doing a lot better and so she um she was marrying my stepdad and they had gotten a house together and so they they offered for me to move back in with them and I was like hell yeah I'll move back home like I don't want to be in Arizona <laughs> and so I moved back to Santa Barbara and they had they were living on a house that was outside of the city limits. And so we had to take um, a bus to school, but we couldn't take the bus home for whatever reason. So we, we would go to my grandma's house and wait for my mom to be off of work and then she would take us home. So I was kind of thrown back in the lion's den and my step-grandfather had access to me again and the abuse started up like right away. And with that i didn't know how to speak up about it like i kind of thought that my family already knew and that's why they moved me away and so when it started up again i was just kind of like what the hell is this you know how old were you at this point sorry i was 13 at this time okay or 12 12 and 13 somewhere around there mm. and um so then um, as soon as that started up, my behavior like immediately went bad and I started, uh, lying and stealing and stuff. And, um, anyways, I ended up getting caught shoplifting and the police came and took me in and they, they told me, they're like, we can either process, like process you and you can go to jail or you can 
go to counseling. And I was like, I want to go to counseling. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. And so um, I went to the counselors and that's when everything went out because there's, you know, the intake form and all that. And one of the questions was, have you ever been sexually abused? And I said, yes. And they were like, even in that moment, everybody's like, are you sure you want to say that? Because so in my past, I tried to say it a few times that I was like being abused, but they always thought that I was making up stories and like trying to get attention because I was this child of divorce and I had all these behavior problems. Yeah. And so even when I said yes on the counselor's form, everybody was like, are you sure you want to say that? Because if you say that, then we have to like get it into the police. And if we do that, it's going to be this huge deal. And if you're lying, it's going to be a big problem. And so are you sure you want to say this? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, wait, so, okay, let's just stop you there for a sec. What year was this? Because I know exactly what you mean. And back then it, things weren't talked about as much. Like let's in context, how, how old are you now? So right now I'm 34. Okay. So Um, we're around the same age. Like I'm 36 or 34. So yeah. So that would have been the nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or early 2000s. Yeah. 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 No, it was definitely in the nineties. I was in high school and yeah, yeah, yeah. 99. Um, so yeah, so 13, I, I came out with it. And then uh, my family and everybody still didn't believe me. They thought I was making up all these lies until the police were like, well, this is what we need you to do. Like, it's, you know, you versus him and we have no evidence, da, da, da. So what we need you to do is we need you to get him to confess to what he's done to you over a recorded phone line. And I remember in that moment, I was so nervous because I'd never talked to him on the phone before. I'm like, well, I'm just going to call him up and be like, yo, (laughs) why'd you take me into the closet the other night, you know, type of a thing. And so it was really intimidating. You know, I'm 13 years old. I'm in a, in the police station. I'm in, I'm in this like conference room with all of these police officers and, and my mom and all this recording equipment. And I'm like, my sheepish shy self trying to get up the courage to like sound normal and (laughs) ask him, you know, like what happened? Why did you do this to me? And for whatever reason, I don't know, he's just dumb, but he just went along with it and like confessed to everything over the phone line. And that moment was um, the first time in my life that I finally felt validated. And my mom, like the look on her face, she just like, they finally knew and they understood and they were so ashamed and embarrassed and, and like, didn't know how to, how to handle it really. And then from that moment on, um, the court case stuff started happening and it took two years for him to be prosecuted and go through the court system. And when it was all said and done, he was sentenced to seven years in prison and he only served four and got out on good behavior. Wow. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> That's, wow. So, well, to be able to have that courage to do that, though, is huge because most wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. You know, at that age, because that age is hard enough as it is. And I can totally relate to you when you talked about the evil stepmother and going through all that stuff, because I went through the same thing and my dad got remarried and it was hell. It was like right out of a movie and you try and 
you try like nothing sexually abused happened to me, but like she would do crazy shit that would be like just what? Like why would you do that? And you try and try and say it, and they just look like you're trying to cause trouble. Oh, you're just a you're just a kid. You don't know shit. You're trying to just stir shit up, and you're like, wait a minute, this is actually happening. Yeah. You know, not to the degree what you went through, but I remember that feeling, and I'm putting myself back in that feeling as a teenager, where like some people just don't take you as serious, and even my dad was like, well, are you sure that happened? Like, you know. And I know, and then for you to be able to deal with that and then be able to come out and speak that, that must have taken a lot of, how did you even, how did you get the nerve to do that though? Like, how did you even? I honestly have no idea. Like, I know when push comes to shove, like, I know I have that strength to like, go do it, but it it takes a while And like thinking back on like how I was feeling in that moment, it was, I remember just being so scared, but also feeling like, well, this is the only way that people are going to believe me. Otherwise I'm just going to be this crazy person that has all these problems and everybody thinks that I'm the problem, that I'm the reason, like I'm acting out and all this. And like, there's no, like I knew what the reason was, but nobody would believe me, you know, Mm. and that's really hard to. Okay. This, yeah. So you, what, how did you feel when he got thrown into jail? Like, what was that like after that? Because did you feel any sort of guilt? Did you feel like were people, people around you? Like, what were they saying? Like, did anybody know, you know, that's not easy. I can, I'm just only, you know, imagining what that would have been like around you in your environment and people knowing what you did and, and stepping up. Like, what was that feeling like? what happened Uh, well so I was you know I I didn't have a lot of friends at the time I had one like real good girlfriend and she knew what was happening um but with all the moving around that I did when I was younger being sent to my dad and then living in Arizona and then moving back to Santa Barbara I I lost all my friends you know throughout that process and when I came back I was like too traumatized to make new friends I guess I don't know I was just really shy and quiet and um so it felt while I was going through it all, like, cause I was still going to school when all this was happening between 13 and 15 years old. And I just remember just trying to like hide as much as I could. I just wanted to like be invisible and like not be a problem. And I didn't want people to know my business and I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. And I didn't want, you know, like I just wanted to be a normal kid and blend in and it was, it was hard to do because, it, like, I had, like, a golden arrow on my back. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's I, – I always – whenever I get into stories like this and hear this, I always put myself back in that position. Like, I try and – because, you know, sometimes we forget what it feels like to be in that position because we're adults now and things are different. But if you – you know, most people listening – I've gone through some sort of thing back then, whether it's, you know, one degree or the other being serious, you know, sexually abused or not, there's those things that really make us feel lost. And at that age, like it can be so daunting. And so you just, you're so confused because your body's changing. You don't know who you are. If you don't have a stable home base, you're kind of like all fucked up because you don't have that like stability you know, and it can be really challenging. So you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to it being a teenager. Like, honestly, like, <laughs> like that, 
as much as it's, you know, there's some good stuff too, but like that era is so confusing for kids. And the, and, and, and now I look back and just give the kid a home base that he feels safe or her feels safe. You know, that, that foundation. I had my mom. I really, I really truly believe that I came out as well as I did through all of this because of the love that my mom gave me. And there's not a question in my mind about how much my mom loves me from the moment I was mm. born. And so even though, you know, she did contribute to some of the trauma that I have um, and she didn't believe the stories that I said, it doesn't negate the fact that she truly unconditionally loved me, you know? Mm. And so when it all came out, I could just feel the love that she had and like her heartbreak over it all too. You know, mm-hmm. I um, being a child of divorce, we grew up with my mom being a single mom. And she, when she was dating my stepdad, he was kind of a womanizer bartender and he wasn't the best to her. And so there was many years of her dating him. And I remember being like a small little child and my brother and I like massaging her and like just trying to give her as much love as we could because she was so heartbroken and like, constantly heartbroken I just remember constantly feeling heartbroken about her and my dad splitting up and like and then all this heartbreak that my stepdad put her through before they got married and so I just like like that was the one thing that I didn't want to do is break my mom's heart and then I did it by sharing the secret and I felt terrible so Mm. I really think that in that time like we were each other's support system and she was, she was my home base. Like she was home yeah. for me. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's easy to, it's, I remember at the time, even growing up, you don't, you didn't really, I didn't really understand adults, you know, and now I look back and I'm like, they were just doing their best, you know, and you got these kids, you don't know if, because so many kids lie and so many kids don't. And it's like, it's tough. And, and you're right. That unconditional love is so important. And I had that as well. And if I didn't have that, I don't know where it'd be today. You know, that base. Um, because they're trying to figure it out too. You know, parents, they're just grown up kids. Right. Like, like you doing know, the best that they could. And, yeah. you know, our generation, our parents are much younger than parents these days. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's still a lot of young parents out there. but <laughs> Yeah, it's a different time. It's a yeah. different time. And they didn't have the tools that we're learning now, they, that was just kind of, this is how it is. Like mm-hmm. growing up in the nineties, I think about the nineties now and I'm like, this was like the craziest world, you know? Yeah, for sure. Nobody, like there was just, it just seems like it was a different world now looking back for so many ways. And people just did the best they could. They trusted the media. They trusted what we, you know, food information, it was there. There was no question and people just did their best, you know, and, and, ex, and ever talking about your feelings was always weakness. You know, any sort of vulnerability was considered weak, holding it in that strength, you know, and that was the narrative. That was how things were. And I feel so blessed now that that's changing. Me too. You know, we get to have conversations about this stuff and really kind of open up Every time we have a talk like this, it opens it up a little bit more and a little bit more for people to share because that's when the healing begins, right? And so, okay, so with your story, let's fast forward. When did you, when did you realize that what you went through was actually trauma? Like, when did you know, like, obviously you knew what you went through wasn't right. 
Like you're like, obviously, right? But like walk us through the journey of when it started to become an issue and how it started to mess with you and how you identified it as being something that you needed to sort out. That's a really good question. I really like the way you phrased that. Um, so for, after he went to, to jail, I pretty much shoved everything down and was like, I'm okay. Like everything's fine. I'm fine. We're good. Right, mom? Love you. You know, like, <laughs> and then I just really, I didn't have very much guidance on like what it means to be an adult and like to get a real job and like that kind of stuff. I really struggled in school because of the abuse and stuff. I was had learning disabilities and whatnot. So like nobody really expected much from me, I guess. And they're like, what, what do you want to do with your life? And I just wanted to be happy and I didn't care about money. And I was like, who, what can I do that's going to make me like super freaking happy? And I was like, I know I'm going to be a dolphin trainer. <laughs> and so I wanted to be a dolphin trainer and I put, all of my eggs in that basket and I did everything I could to make that dream come true and I was so focused like if I didn't have that goal I I think I would have ended up down the road of drugs and uh, alcohol and dysfunction and prostitution like no doubt because that was very attractive to me but the only reason I didn't go down that way was because I wanted to be a dolphin trainer and dolphin trainers didn't do that stuff. Like you can't have any tattoos on your body. Like you can't, you know, like no drugs, like no rest records, like got to be clean. Right. So wow. thank God for that. And, um, I, so I went to school and I got, it took me three years to get into this animal training school that I was really wanting to go into. And at the time all you needed to be a dolphin trainer was basically to graduate from this one particular school. Like they had like 90% of their students graduated with jobs. And um, so that's, I knew that was my ticket. Like if I just get to the school, I'm going to be a dolphin trainer. <laughs> and so I went through the program. It was literally the best two years of my life. I was surrounded by people who are my soulmates, like still good friends with a lot of them to this day. Um, but while I was in the program, the 2008 economic crash happened. And so when I graduated in 2009, the whole industry like flipped overnight. And before all you really needed was like some volunteer experience and a letter of recommendation maybe, and you can get right in. And um, if you graduated from this program that I went to, it was like a definite in, you don't even have to do an interview type of a thing, like just come. And then I'll, and then that switched overnight to just to get an entry level position, you had to have like a four year degree, you had to have tons of experience, you had to have like two years work experience at an AZA accredited zoo, and all this stuff. And the reason it switched overnight is because um, like the industry got so sh like feathered out that people who had higher up positions were now like applying for like entry level positions, which made the whole hierarchy messed up. So when I graduated in 2009, I, you know, I was applying to jobs and not getting any, and I was applying to internships, and I ended up getting an internship in Bermuda, which was amazing. So I, I did actually get to work with dolphins for a little bit. It was like the best summer of my life. And, um, and then when I was doing my internship, I was like, what can I do to better my chance for an actual like full-time position instead of just a seasonal position? And uh, they told me, you can get medical experience and also get your four-year degree. And I was really resistant to getting my four-year degree because all animal training, any sort of animal industry jobs is like minimum wage, like 
maybe a dollar or two more than that, but minimum wage. Like it's bad out there. So sad. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, that whole industry is like fueled off the hopes and dreams of young people. (laughs) So sad. But, um, anyway, so, so I, I decided to, um, keep working as a veterinary technician. I became a registered veterinary technician and then I was volunteering with, um, an organization in Santa Barbara called Channel Island Maine Wildlife Institute. And I was rescuing and rehabilitating wild sea life. And that was like, if I could do anything in my life, that's what I would do. But you can't really do that and make money. (laughs) It takes all your money. Um, so anyways, I was on that wheel for a while trying to make things work and I, I wasn't landing the positions and it started to like really wear on my soul. Like I just, I couldn't understand where the disconnect was. And I knew I was like, like in everywhere that I've ever worked, I've always been like the star employee and like employee of the month. And like, I just, I knew I was a good worker, you know? Um, and I was getting really frustrated that I wasn't getting hired for any of these jobs. And I was on the Dean's list when I was in that, in that program. And there's people who had like B's and C's that were getting these jobs and like, where, why not me? Like, why am I not good enough? And then, so all of that old trauma started to flood in of like not being good enough and like, things are never going to happen for me and that my life is just like nothing but disappointment and all this stuff. And, um, and then when I was 25, I ended up getting pregnant and it was an unexpected, unwanted pregnancy. And one of the stories I had always told myself when I was younger was I never want to be married. I never want to have kids. And so when I got pregnant, I was devastated and I got it taken care of immediately without even really thinking about it. And then that kind of like spiraled into its own trauma spiral. And um, my mental health got so bad that I was like ready to commit suicide. And I had been, I just started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast around that time. It was like 2011, somewhere around there. Um, and, um, I happened upon a podcast with Aubrey in it and he was talking about his experience. He had just came back from doing Iboga. And so he, he brought that onto my radar and the way that he described his experience, it was exactly what I knew that I needed. Cause with ayahuasca, they say that the plant takes you like out into the cosmos and that's where you get your answers. And then he was saying with Iboga, it takes you like deep within yourself and like, that's where you find your answers. And I was like, that's what I need. I need to go within myself. Like I know my problem is me. I know I have this crazy trauma background and I, I, I think I need to deal with it, you know? So, so I found out where Aubrey went to do Iboga and I took out a loan and I went to go do a ceremony, um, by myself and it was the most transformative experience of my life like it was like 20 years of therapy in a week span and um when I went I did it with the apprentice shamans because it was significantly cheaper than doing it with the actual shamans and I'm so very grateful for that experience because I will get into this later but I just just feel like I I got a true taste of the healing potentials of Iboga. 
and um, it was such a beautiful, beautiful experience. And so I was like profoundly changed when I came back and I was like, this is the reason that I'm not making it as an animal trainer because I'm supposed to be on this path and like telling everybody about the healing powers of my boga. Like this stuff is amazing. Like if it can help me this much, it can help the world. Like everybody needs to do it, you know? <laughs> and I was like on that train. And um, so I contacted the, the place that did my ceremony and I was like, I am so like passionate about this and I need to learn more and I need to like spread the word and like, what can I do? Like, tell me what to do, you know? And they're like, well, we're actually going to organize a trip to Africa. And if you're interested, you can come with us and see if you want to become an apprentice shaman. And I was like, hell yes, sign me up. I'm coming. <laughs> and so um, I quit my job and I told all my friends about this experience and how it changed my life and how I'm going to change the world. And I packed up my bags and went to Africa. And this was in 2013. And um, I was there for about a month and it was a beautiful experience. And I'm, I'm grateful that I had gone, but it didn't go the way that I had planned it to go. <laughs> and it never, never does. Never does. And so I traveled by myself. I was with my boyfriend at the time, but um, he knew that I, was very adamant about like I need to do my own journey and like walk my own path and all this I've always been very like independent like I said I never wanted to be married or have kids so I've always like kind of kept people at a distance and um so yeah so I went to Africa and it was the first time that I had met the actual shaman he was in Africa when I was in Costa Rica doing my ceremony and um shortly into the trip within like the first week he approached me for a sexual relationship and I put me right back into my trauma like you know you have like your fight or flight reflex and there's also one of freeze and I went into the freeze mode and survival mode and I just did whatever he wanted me to do because in my body I felt like I needed to survive. He had my passport, he had all my money, like he had everything. And I felt like if I didn't give him what he wanted, that I don't know if I can make it home type of a thing. And so we had this sexual relationship during the entire, pretty much the entire time that I was in Africa for the month. And it was not like, not good. <laughs> and um, I'm grateful for the experience, for the things that I got to learn. I'm grateful for being able to learn more about the Bawiti and being part of that culture. And I'm grateful for backpacking throughout the jungles of Africa and like learning about the different plants and things. But I was traumatized and re-thrown back into all my sexual traumas. And when I was able to come home from that, um, it was... <laughs> It was so heavy. Like, I just felt like a huge failure. And um, I broke up with my boyfriend because I didn't know how to handle what had happened. And and um, I was super embarrassed. I, I told all my friends and stuff like, oh, just kidding. That's not the path for me. I'm just going to go back to being a vet tech. And uh, went back into my old life and just tried to, like, make things work again. I started to apply for the dolphin tripe jobs and uh, animal keeper jobs. And and I was like on that train again, like just trying to like shove everything down and just like move forward in the normal life. And um, I was, I did that for a while and I was actually really lost after Africa. Like it, <laughs> I did a lot of like spiritual healing type stuff. And it was the first time that I learned about like energies and entities and like things get attached to you and like 
you know, because I was being abused in a psychedelic space, like under the influence of the medicine and also without the medicine, but like all of that's, you know, you're, when you take a psychedelic, you're, you're, your shit's wide open. And so if you're not protective with that, like dark energies and dark things can attach to that. And so when I came home from Africa, I was dealing with all of those and I was already dealing with those with my own shit. And so it was just kind of like double shit <laughs> and it was really hard. And um, one of the things that helped me to come back to myself was my boyfriend. He didn't give up on me. Um, my mom ended up reaching out to him and being like, you need to, you need to help her. <laughs> you know, like if you really love her, don't give up on her. Like don't, don't let her nose be your no. And um, he ended up bringing me out here into the desert and we did some MDMA together and it was such a beautiful and profound journey. And um, that was really like the mark point of me coming back into who I feel like I am right now. <laughs> mm. And uh, anyways, but that was really hard and I shoved all that down. I tried to be my normal self again, trying to be the animal person and um, walk that path for a few years. And then our cat died and that was pretty traumatic. And then the year after that, so my cat died in 2017. And then 2018 was just like a challenging year. Like it just was heavy. My, I have both my grandfathers, like my blood grandfathers passed away. And um, we had some other life stuff happen with my boyfriend's family. And it was just dark time. And I ended up like my depression was so bad that I was uh, ready to die. And I ended up, um, taking our gun and hiking out into the middle of the desert. And my plan was to just shoot myself out there and be done with it all. Like I just, life is too hard. And, um, I did, I hiked out there and I sat there with my gun and I couldn't pull the trigger. It was like literally the toughest moment of my life. And I just felt like so fucking low. Like that was like the lowest of the low. And I, it's like, I didn't, I couldn't pull the trigger, but I didn't know how to move forward. And I didn't know, how to live, you know? And, um, and then I came back home and shoved that down, pretending nothing happened and just kept moving forward with life. And then shortly after that is when the Aubrey Marcus's fit for service, um, came onto my radar and it just spoke to me like, like the first moment I saw the video, I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Like, this is what I've been searching for. I need this. And, um, I sent it to my mom. And I was like, look at this, like, this is exactly what I need. And like, it's my mentor, Aubrey, and this would be amazing. It's all the things that I've been looking for. And like, maybe this will help me find my purpose. Cause I've been feeling so lost with my career. Like I knew it was never going to happen in the animal career. And, but I didn't know what my next step was. And, um, so she, she was like, well, just apply. And I was like, this is so expensive. I was like, there's no way I can afford this. And she's like, well, just apply and see what happens. And so I applied and I got accepted. And I was like, okay, mom, they accepted me. Like, what do I do now? And she was like, okay, well, you know, my grandpa just passed away and he left her a little bit of money. And so she pulled that money together to send me through the Fit for Service last year, 2019. And like 2019 and being part of Fit for Service, like literally changed my life. Like, changed my life and um it was the first time that I started to talk about what had happened to me and my story and my experiences and talking about the plant medicines and 
my experience with it and how I did find it so healing yet also traumatizing in the wrong hands and um yeah and then I I went out to Colorado last summer and I did a psychedelic therapy um with innate path and that was really transformative too so having the fit for service mastermind meetups on top of the psychedelic therapy that I did in Colorado really helps me to see the power in the story and all the trials and tribulations that I've been up to been through so far and how I can alchemize that into my future purpose and so I decided to go back to school and finally get my four-year degree <laughs> and so that's what I'm working on right now um, trying to graduate in psychology and then I really want to continue on and um, become a licensed private counselor so I can become a psychedelic therapist myself. Wow. <laughs> it's incredible. Incredible. How, how far into the program are you now? So um, I'm trying to graduate with my four-year bachelor's degree by December this year, but it's wow. going to be challenging. Like I took 16 units last semester. I'm taking nine units over the summer, which starts on Monday. And then I take another 16 units in the fall and then hopefully I'll graduate in December. Hmm. Wow. That's awesome. So there's a couple things I want to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you see me looking down, it's, I'm just writing notes because there's, I can't remember all this stuff. So I want to ask, maybe you'll have a better understanding of this now, but why do you think you're being showed another experience of sexual abuse like why do you think that was being shown do you think that you hadn't is well i guess we probably know now is because you hadn't you haven't dealt with that side of things yet but yeah. why do you like from looking back in hindsight now why were you shown that especially after doing such a because iboga i've heard has been really amazing for people really challenging for people i had a friend that did and he said it was the hardest couple of days of his life yeah, and 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 his partner had was in bliss right but now looking back in hindsight why were you shown why were you going taken to africa and shown this situation why did you feel you needed to go through that again that's a that's a hard question but it's definitely a good question and i don't know yet 100% i would say but um i'm definitely getting lessons out of it and I know I wasn't facing that like that trauma. I wasn't facing it. I was just like where I was in that stage of my life, I was definitely letting my shadow behaviors kind of run the show and especially in like my relationships and that sort of thing. And so I feel like that experience was for me to like have it in my face and be like, you need to deal with this, you know, <laughs> like yeah, this shit's going to keep happening to you. You're going to keep putting yourself in these situations where you feel like you can't say no and you're going to end up getting abused again, you know? Mm. So. And another note, is that thing behind you moving? Like, is there yeah. wind? Cause yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm seeing these things are turning into eyeballs and moving around. Anybody that's <laughs> watching is, you know what I mean? But she's got this thing behind her. I'm, I'm looking at you and then I see in the background, it's kind of moving. I'm like, am I tripping? Am I? You don't know um, this, but I gave you some psychedelics <laughs> before we talked. <laughs> yeah. Also, I wanted to ask you about, 
and have and maybe you have thought about it, maybe you haven't. The symbol of the dolphin. Mm. What does the dolphin mean to you now? Because what a beautiful animal and what a like interesting story that is. Because when you started talking about that, I was like, wow, this is fucking really, really interesting. And how that, have you looked into dolphins and the symbolism of that and what that means and does that impact you at all now? Because to me, I'm like, wow, that must, there must be something tied into that. That's so funny that you asked that. Um, to be like completely honest, I, you know, dolphins are so popular in culture and everybody, everybody loves dolphins. Yeah. Dolphins fucking everything. They're cool. They're like humans. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I am the type of person that I just like don't like what everybody else likes. So there's a part of me that's like, I don't even want to look at any of that stuff. Like, no, like that's mm -hmm. dumb. You're dumb. That's dumb. But <laughs> so no, I really haven't looked into like, dolphin meanings and that kind of stuff. Um, but really drew, I've always been really drawn to the ocean, you know, growing up in Santa Barbara, being right next to the ocean. I've always been an ocean girl. And to be a thousand percent honest, like what I really wanted to do is to be like a shark trainer. But at the time there really wasn't a thing. And so oh, interesting. Like a dolphin trainer. Yeah. So I've, I've sharks are my number one marine species that I love. Ah, that's even more interesting. Okay, cool. I, I just, I wanted to get into that because there's got to be a reason for all that, you know, and it's, it's super interesting. So I also want to talk about, man, there's so many things, how, okay, how we have these entities and the dark of psychedelics and how, maybe walk us through, because I know Paul Check talks about this and he does it such a good way of explaining, but like walk us through what that means when you're open and how how do the dark side how do these entities for people that don't know about psychedelics because people that are listening here have kind of i know that they've listened to me on my journey and they're kind of probably in the same place some are deeper some are more but walk us through the entities of like what that even means and how they can be attached to you and how to be mindful of that yeah it's so interesting because i've I've always been drawn to like mystical type things, but I've always very like with the dolphin thing, I'm always like, well, that's dumb. Like this is reality. There's nothing like that. Like what's real, you know, type of a thing. And so when I first started hearing about these ener like energies and these things that can attach to you and all this stuff, I was like, whatever, like, what is this? That's stupid. Like they're just trying to scare you. But when I was had that, that experience in Africa and what I had to do to get back to myself afterwards really opened my eyes to how you, sh you really need to protect yourself and your energies anytime you decide to open yourself up to the things that we don't know. Like we don't even know what's, what it is, you know, like it's, it's another dimension or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but if you're not careful, whatever these things are they they look they're opportunistic just like us we're opp opportunistic too right so like they mm. see an opportunity to attach themselves to you because they want to be part of the human experience again this is sounds so woo woo and if it resonates with you great and if it doesn't great everything know. goes here <laughs> everything that's is this is what it's about this is all tied to adversity everything all this stuff right like it's it's all so yeah no i love it keep going um, but in my experience, when I came back from Africa, it just, 
like I already struggle with depression and anxiety and that kind of stuff. And I know what mine feels like, but when it's heavier than that, that's when I realize that I have, there's more here than is my own. And that's really weird to say. And in the space of where I was at the time, I felt like it was all mine, but after healing myself and like looking back, I can see that I definitely felt a lot more darkness than what was truly my own. And I think that was because I was so willy nilly and like open to whatever and with Iboga and my shaman wasn't as protective as he should have been in that space. Mm. Yeah. And so like when I came home, I ended up seeing this spiritual healer. I don't even know how I found her, but um, she was really cute, like cute little Mexican lady. And she would just like pray over me and like incense and she would do like Reiki and she would do like all sorts of stuff that I didn't even understand. But I knew like I felt so much better every time that I saw her and she helped me. I saw her for about a year after Africa and I was doing other things too like I did a silent meditation retreat and um, like I said I did that journey in the desert with my boyfriend with MDMA and um, and that kind of stuff but yeah so Mm -hmm. if you ever decide to dabble even with like meditation and stuff too like if you don't set that intention or just like a little tiny prayer like just keep me safe keep me in the light you know everything that I'm doing is for my highest purpose and the highest purpose of others. Like if you just keep that vibration high, then those like darker negative energies, they can't attach. And even like, like for me with my depression and stuff, I'm in a much better place now because I've been doing so much healing with FFS and I still get waves of depression, but now Mm -hmm. I'm able to see it differently and I don't attach to, to it. Like your mind Like you feel it in your body, you feel the depression and then your mind immediately wants to make a story of why your body is feeling this way. And then you attach to that story. And then the more you attach to it, the longer it goes. And so I've learned that you just don't attach to the story. Like you hear the story and you're like, oh, that's cute. Yeah. I, (laughs) you know. Yeah. You're keeping, you're trying to keep me safe. Thank you. I appreciate you, but I don't need you right now. I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, that's so that's so true. These waves of depression come in. I've experienced them lately. And I'm like, why? Why am I, you know, the, the, I think it was a couple of days ago, I had this wave of depression. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like, why is this here? You know, this isn't, but then I was like, this isn't my thought. But then I was like, I went and did something that changed my state and I felt better. I looked at it, it completely dissolved it. And sometimes, yeah, we, we think, because of in the past, our past, whatever we've done growing up, that any sort of bad feeling gets linked to that. And then you go down this spiral of thinking we're not worthy, thinking, oh, my life sucks. Oh, here we go again. Yep. Here we go. Exactly. Everything's about to get fucked up, you know, because if things did before, then you think they're going to again. And I go through this also. I'm like, oh, here we go. I got that feeling. I know what this happens. So I'm like, no, I'm not. This is just a thought. This isn't even my thought, you know, and you, it's just so interesting to observe that instead of getting attached to it. And I really like how you said that because we can create this narrative that it doesn't even make sense. It's not even true. But for some reason, because of our past, we like to just get, we're used to things in the past and if we haven't dealt with them, it just becomes another one of those things that tries to define us, right? 
And it's so interesting as well because, you know, I'm still pretty, I would say I'm pretty new to the whole, um, this whole arena of psychedelic experimental. Like I've done it over the years. Like my first time I ever did magic mushrooms was like, it's so weird to say magic mushrooms because it sounds like a party thing. But like back when I was probably, probably 2003, like I did it. And, you know, I remember it being amazing, but then a couple other times were really uncomfortable because of the wrong setting. Um, but like, but now my perspective of it has changed, but I'm also, I'm so new to the whole cleansing the space thing. That has been a big thing that, you know, I used to go to this, this meditation um, where there's different meditations and Reiki and all that. And I was still kind of like this, does this even work? Like, is this sage stuff? Like this, that was hard for me to wrap my head around the woo of it. Mm-hmm. You know, why would this work? Like, why would this thing that I'm burning work? Right. And, but then I started to realize, you know, a lot of people are saying this. A lot of people I trust are saying this. And I'm like, you know, why do I doubt this? I don't, it's only because of the lens that I've learned. I don't know shit about anything. So don't, I can't assume that I know everything. So I'm, I started to open up. But I think a lot of people are going through the same thing. Like, why would this thing burning do anything? And then those like little sound, what are those Sal Palto things or whatever? Yes, Sal Palto. So I heard that, this is what, if you don't burn sage first before that, before burning it, it can actually open up things in the wrong way or something, which was interesting. But, you know, part of me is like, oh, that's bullshit. But part of me is like, well, maybe it's not, you know? And so I've, I've started to do it. And when I had my, I did my three and a half grams in the dark, I made sure to have it in a ceremony style, saged everything. And the energy was great. But you know, there's, I know there's people out there that still think that stuff is, is kind of woo. I would, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your perspective of like, what made you start to think that this stuff actually is real versus, well, you know, do you ever have that? Like, is this actually working? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I'm with you a thousand percent. You know, I was like that myself for a really long time. And it's it's funny now because so so many of the things I say sound so woo and I'm like, oh, I hate this. Like my younger self would be so angry <laughs> at myself right now. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like it feels so true. And like, I'm just expressing my true, what I've, I've felt. And so the, the change really happened for me with the Africa experience, if I'm going to be honest, and like the aftermath of all the things that I did after that. And then, you know, I kind of went down my own, like, I, I came back to, like, my normal, which isn't a good normal. It's, like, still, like, the depressive, angry level. Mm. But um, when I had my, my lowest low with about to shoot myself and coming back from that and then going straight into FFS and just being so open to, like, what is it that I need to learn? Like, just, like, give it to me you know like yeah. I'm so tired of being on this sad train and like like I can't survive it like if I'm going to be this sad like I literally just want to die like I can't handle it and um what really changed things around for me was at the end of the year last year um at our Malibu meetup at the end of it I had an opportunity to do a bufo ceremony which is um, DMT naturally derived from the Sonoran Desert Toad and that experience 
was so profound in so many ways. And I am, because of my Africa experience, I've been really hesitant to do like a heavy psychedelic. Um, So I've done like mushrooms, I've done MDMA. Um, I actually did do some acid trying to see if that would work. And that's really heavy. Like I did not have a good experience on that. Um, I, I, looking back, I had a lot of lessons that I learned and a lot of things that I moved through and I'm super grateful for that. Um, but it was really scary at the time. Like for instance, my boyfriend, his face shaped into the devil and then it shaped into my step grandfather and then back and forth between that for a while. So that was fun. But I could, it really helped me to like process a lot of things and to like release it. And so even though it was scary in the moment, like I know that was there to serve me and to help me heal. And um, anyways, so I did do like a crazy, I guess that is a crazy one, but um, I've been feeling really called to do ayahuasca, but I've just been really hesitant just because of my experience with iboga. And I just wanted to find somewhere that I trusted and, someone that's not going to take advantage of me under the influence, but I'm also very, I like to do it in like the natural settings that it comes from. Um, Like I really enjoyed doing Iboga in Africa with the Bawiti and I would want to have that type of experience with ayahuasca, but I don't know where to go because Mm. I don't trust anybody and I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I have places now through FFS, but at the time, like I didn't have, um, a place that I could think of going that I would feel safe. So anyways, I've just been kind of like putting it on the back burner, but then this opportunity for Bufo came up at the end of the Malibu um, get together and it just felt so serendipitous. Like, like it was a sign from the universe, like, please try this, you know? (laughs) And I answered the call and I said, yes. And it was such a beautiful experience and it really helped me to, see the bigger picture and this is going to sound so woo but it really (laughs) helped me see like that god space and like tangibly how everything is connected and how we all are one and how we chose to be here on this planet at this time to have these experiences and that you chose to have these certain experiences before you even came here and so I chose to have the abuse of my childhood I chose to have the abuse in Africa I chose my partner and um, I chose my mom and I chose you know and like all this stuff and um, to have these lessons and um, in that experience it really helped me to open my eyes to all of the things that we don't understand but are definitely there Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really helped me to like lean into the woo and lean into the staging and leaning into the crystals and like that kind of stuff. And like things that I've been really hesitant about before, but now mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm a believer. <laughs> me, me too. I mean, I'm, I accept it because why is anything that I know from before, right? <laughs> I'm realizing the more I learn, the more I discover this, this, you know, the matrix the simulation of life that we're in the little, I, I know, I know shit. I know, I don't know nothing. Right. Like I don't know. And I, it's exciting. That's not disempowering, but it just goes, wow. Like we, like I'm literally just, this world is an abundance of knowledge, abundance of teachers. Everybody's a teacher. If you can learn from everybody, you just, you grow and you become, you, 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 you know, you take things and you look at all angles, you challenge your beliefs. That's where things get real, real fun is when, 
you just, you, the humbleness of, I don't know shit. <laughs> and we're never going to have it all figured out. That's but, why I love Rogan so much because he really opened my eyes to that whole thing. Yeah, same. And, you know, I had a very visceral feeling, like especially when I was around 25 and um, I was around the age that my mom, she had me when she was 25 and I was like, you're just a baby when you had me, like, Jesus, like, yeah. you know, and then that's what really helped me to realize, like, nobody knows anything, and we're all just telling each other stories, and, like, who really knows, like, who told that person that story? I don't know, you know, like, what do they know? Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> so. and we just trust because we look at somebody, and we trust them just because they, how they make us feel, so we assume because they make us feel a certain way that what they're saying is true, Right. It's, right. it's really, when you think about it, it's really profound how some people we believe stuff, some people we don't. And now like just opening up your eyes and realizing like, wow, okay, this narrow lens that a lot of us have been living in is just not, it's probably not all there is, you know, right. there's, and, and yeah, it's, there's, there's just so much. So are you okay for time? Just wanted to check oh, yeah. in. Okay, no, perfect. Yeah, I have nothing going on. Um, um, one thing I was going to say is I think it's really hard, especially in the way that you're grown up or like your, the beliefs that you are instilled with, because I grew up in an interesting dynamic where my parents were split up. On my dad's side, they were extremely religious. Like we, I've had books burnt. <laughs> I've you know, I was told that I needed to pray for forgiveness because I was damaged goods after my abuse. Like wow. just my grandfather is a Baptist minister. So he, he would go and like preach out to everybody who preached at the prisons that like he preached to us, you know. And then on my mom's side, they were also very religious, but my mom wasn't. And she felt like God had done her dirty because she did everything that she was supposed to do. She was such a good girl, did everything. She met my dad while she was in Bible college and all this. And he was from this Christian family and she had this beautiful family. And then my dad cheated on her and like left her. And so she was like, screw you, God. And so she didn't want to raise us in the same conditions that she was raised, but she couldn't stop her family from instilling things in us. And then she couldn't stop my dad's side. And mm. when I lived with my dad, that's like, was part of that crazy abusive situation. And then um, also with the homeschooling that I had, I was very instilled in religion. So, yeah. you know, I think if you, and then like, I remember too, like my grandparents on my dad's side, they used to show me videos about how like non-believers were going to go straight to hell and all this. And they're like, your mom's a non-believer and she's going to hell and all this. And it's like, ah, you know, you're like a little kid and <laughs> you have like it's... these views and like the scare like instilled in you. If you're not a good person, you're going to hell and all this stuff. And it's so just I such think... a fear-based yes. yeah. concept. And, but a lot of us are functioning in that fear. I mean, totally with, with this coronavirus, you know, that's our bread and butter. Everybody loves to be in that fear. And it's just sad. Like, yeah. Trying to let it down. Keep everybody in fear and divide people. Exactly. Figure out ways to divide everybody. You know, fear to control you when you're fearful. Exactly. And, it, you know, I learned this from Aubrey was you know, every, everything, it's either love or fear. You know, everything that's, and I, I, I challenge myself to do this now. Like, is this coming from love or fear? And if you really are mindful with your choices and what you speak and how you treat people and what you post on social media, like all the shit, it's a representation of if you're operating out of fear or love, you know, 
thousand percent. Yeah. If you're a victim or you are empowered and I'm really understanding this and I've really like, it's, 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 it's liberating to know that it's not simple, but it is simple in a way because it's, it's your framework on how, how you deliver your message. And if you come from a place of love, then you just don't give a fuck because not the give a fuck is in like, I don't fuck you. I don't care about you. It's like you're being true to yourself. So you're coming from a place of love. You're actually being true. So anybody that doesn't align with that, then that's not your issue. That's their issue. And I think sometimes when we try and be somebody else, then we know we're being somebody else. So like if we offend somebody, then we know that we're deep down, it's because we're being somebody else. And it's like, or if somebody doesn't resonate, not only are they not resonating, but you know, you're not being true. So it bothers you even more. Yes. Right. Yeah. So true. And I'm really learning that in this, in this group too, with in FFS and talk about 2019 as I was seconds away from joining. I've regretted it the entire year. <laughs> oh, all, all, all year. I remember having Eric Godsey on my podcast last year and he, that guy fascinates me and him. he <laughs> just realized it because I remember talking to him about, cause he was kind of doing the, the onboarding and stuff at the time. And I was like, I was so, I just had this feeling all year. I'm like, next year I have to do this next year. And I would see the posts and I'm like, shit, I don't want to start now because it's halfway through. So yeah, I mean, I, and this year has been great. It's just unfortunate with this coronavirus that we haven't been able to get together and in person but that's just the way it goes i think it's allowed us to to get creative on how we connect you know stuff like this i get to selfishly connect with a few of you on here and, and that for me is like all worth it right and it's exciting also to see this journey with this and like where are we going to be after this thing you know where are we going to be like what's going to come out of this what's the rest of 2020 going to look like like it's right. been a fucking chaotic shitstorm for a lot of people. Yeah. So I feel so grateful that I was a part of FFS last year and like all the traveling and stuff that we did and all the hugs that we got. I'm like, oh, I'm so full. Like, I don't need, oh, no. I'm good with quarantine. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, um, there's a couple things I want to talk about before we wrap up that I, because uh, I know I'll regret not asking. Um, about specific psychedelics plant medicine or anything that you've found useful like walk us through your experience with mdma and why that helped because for me and maybe most people well i i, I shouldn't say that but for me mdma was a have some drinks have a little mdma on a nice boat and just kind of feel the vibe right but for me if i ever did mdma I'd get a, 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 a massive rate, uh, a massive like feel of anxiety mm. that I was like, Ooh, shit, I got a drink. But that was the way I did whenever I did drugs. If I did Coke and I did anything like my partying days, it was like booze would balance out the anxiety. I never actually felt the MDMA for what it is because it kind of takes over. And anyways, for a long, long wind question here, how did MDMA specifically help you? at your your ptsd yeah that's a good question um so i definitely have been in the party space with mdma before as well as in my younger days um but in 
my healing journey, it's been, it's been life changing. Like I, if there can only be one drug that was approved to help with PTSD, I would say MDMA needs to be it. Um, it's so gentle, especially if you have PTSD. It's, I feel like it's the most gentle of all the psychedelics. Like it just feels like you're being like embraced in one big warm hug. Like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. So nice. you know, and for someone like me who I, I grew up without, I mean, I, I had love, you know, I knew my mom and that kind of stuff, but I had a lot of darkness, a lot of sadness, a lot of anger, a lot of shame. And I, it's really hard for me to experience happiness. And I truly believe that my experiences with MDMA have helped build a foundation that I can understand what happiness is now. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, when I, like the, the journey that I had with my boyfriend in the desert after Africa, it was just, it, it helped me to just feel like myself again, which sounds really weird, but I was in such a dark space after that. I was dealing with the fact that it, I was dealing from the sexual trauma from the shaman on top of my sexual trauma from my past on top of the shame and everything that comes with all of that. And and just feeling really lost and everything. And so I was just in this really dark, dark space. And then doing that and being with somebody that loved me and I loved him, even though I wouldn't say that at the time, you know, but um, it just really helped me to connect to myself and to, to feel like life is worth living, like it's worth it to go through the hard times to have these moments of awesomeness. <laughs> yeah, because it opens you up. You just see the love in everybody. Everybody's your yeah. best friend, and and it's it is a, it is powerful. It, it opens you up, up. It opens your heart up. Yeah, and I've done an MDMA assisted psychotherapy session with a trained therapist. And that was beautiful because we, you know, me, <laughs> I've built up so many walls and I still have walls. Like there, I'm still, I'm still on the journey of getting all those walls down. But with these walls, it makes it really hard to know what your truth is because you're blinding it from yourself because it's so painful that you just like can't go there and your body's like no we're not taking you there like it is walled off never again it's just assist in your body type of a thing but you really need to like get in there and release that to be able to move forward and with mdma it gives you not just like you like you up here in your mind it, it like allows your body to let go and to just relax and allow for whatever is going to happen to happen without blocking you. And so mm -hmm. it really helps in the therapy session because like I, I've, I was forced to do talk therapy when I was young, like from the moment my perpetrator was put into jail until I was 18, I was forced to go to therapy pretty much like weekly or I don't remember. It felt like all the time. And then after that, I would go into talk therapy when things were really, really bad. 
Um, but it never helped. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, you know? Like, it just kind of, like, helps a little, but yeah, it doesn't. you don't get to, like, that core problem. Like, you're not removing that bullet out, you know, which is, needs to be done in order for it to heal. And so with having the MDMA on board, it really helps you to, like, I don't want to say, like, get the courage because it's not really that. It's just, like, it just allows you to enter these spaces that is really, 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 really hard to get to when you're conscious. Like, I mm. honestly don't think you can even get to them on on a conscious level. Like, I mm. think that I, I did some hypnotherapy. I think that that's really good. Mm. Um, but yeah, MDMA therapy is. Would you I, say, would you say that's the, which one would you say like as a takeaway, if you had to look back now has had the most impact all around out of all the medicines? Well, my, my first and that, that first experience with Iboga was definitely the most impactful thing that I've ever experienced. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and like you were saying, it's not an easy journey. It is not like the my very, very, very first time ever doing it. So when you go and you do it for a week span, you're doing it for two nights. And so the first time I did it, I had nothing but a very, very, very violent purge for 18 plus hours straight. Oh my God. Like nonstop purging. Like even when I had nothing to purge, I'm still purging, <laughs> you know, like it was hard. And even so scared of that. Yeah. And even afterwards, the, the apprentice shamans, when I was leaving, they were like, <laughs> just to let you know, like, we've never seen anybody have that type of a <laughs> reaction to it like you did. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm glad you didn't tell me that in the time. Because I didn't, I was never scared. Like, it didn't, it wasn't scary. It just was like, like, it felt like it needed to happen. And honestly, when I did the Bufo, I had the same purge type of experience. And when I had that one, it really felt like I wasn't just purging out the darkness in me. I was also purging out the darkness of the world. And that sounds super woo, but like, it really felt like this is part of my purpose is that I can handle this pain and I can alchemize it into love and I'm strong enough to be able to do it. And so that made me think about that first night with Iboga and how much purging I did and how it, I felt so much lighter after it. Like I felt amazing <laughs> and mm -hmm. like, and everybody else around me was super concerned, you know? So, um, yeah, Iboga wow. definitely is that one thing, but that's like Mount Everest, you know? Like, I don't, <laughs> looking back, like, I don't think that that should have been my go-to first crazy psychedelic, but I was desperate, you know? Mm. I was I was definitely suicidal. And uh, if I, I think that if you're dabbling into psychedelics for the first time, like, true MDMA is the way to go. Um, if you can't get that, I think mushrooms are very gentle as well and very healing and they have their own space, but they can also be a trickster. So, Oh, fuck. Can they ever, <laughs> I even don't if think you just, even if you just do a small amount, a, too much microdose, they can fuck with your anxiety. Yeah. Like there's, so, there's a set. That, <laughs> yeah. You have to be careful with this. Give things. respect to the medicine. That's, that's all I got to say. Right. Yes. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. Always respect your medicine. Always go in with an intention and a purpose. Yeah, it's it's so true because people we can be irresponsible because of the, the drinking and partying mentality. We assume that everything is like that. You can just it's not. Mm -hmm. I've I've experienced it even 
like I said, with, with microdosing, I do a little bit too much and then I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm not, I didn't prep myself, I didn't do yoga, I didn't meditate, so I'm going in with an anxious space and I'm like, oh, it's just like a tour, it sucks. Yeah. I know I didn't, I was irresponsible. So I'm thinking, oh, it doesn't matter, it's just a little bit. And then it just fucks with me for hours. Like, not bad, but it's just like, so this is the thing. Like, I think everybody, you guys, be, be really respectful, understand and respect medicine, get your set and setting right, whatever you do. And that's why I think like we talked about saging and just, just opening and giving the respect to the space that this isn't just a thing, like really, really take it serious, you know? For sure. Yeah. It definitely needs respect. And because I've definitely gone many ways about it, you know, when I was younger, I, I was of the mindset of like, you know, live hard, die young. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I really thought I was going to die young. And so I was like, I'm just going to live my life to the fullest and whatever. But when you do that, you have some crazy fun experiences, but you also really open yourself up to a lot more traumas and a lot, a lot mm-hmm. more things that you're going to have to deal with in the long run. So if you just like have a little bit of respect for yourself yeah. and for the medicine, you're going to get a lot further in life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's exactly. And yeah, I I can't stress that enough. And I guess it's also one of these things, it's not for everybody. I think everybody, you know, if you feel the call, then then lean into that, but it's not for everybody. And Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was the thing I got after my Bufo experience was there's so many ways to connect to that space. And I heard people saying this before when I, because I've always been such like a pro psychedelic person, um, just because I know how much it's helped me. But after my Bufo experience, it really showed me that there's so many ways to get to that space. And if you just allow yourself to do it the natural way, like you're, it's just as valid as I feel like psychedelics are kind of spiritually bypassing in a way, but I think it's needed, especially for our culture and um, our mindsets. But um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Where can everybody check you out and where and what are you working on that we can send people to? Um, so I started a Instagram with my story and I'm really still like in the baby stages of figuring out what the hell I'm doing with my life. <laughs> so I have a little direction with wanting to become a psychedelic therapist, but um, I really want to try to, you know, spread my message out there and like spread the message of hope and not giving up. And um, I'm doing that through my Instagram with the unraveling fern. So you just look up the unraveling fern, you'll find me. And then I also have a blog website with the same thing. I think that one's actually just unravelingfern.com. Awesome. Wow. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) This is like just scratching the surface of this stuff. It's just so interesting. And it's just like this whole realm that is so new to me still. And the more I get curious about it, the more I want to learn. And I, uh, but I, I'll have to admit, I'm, I have a lot of fear still around this stuff. And I guess it's the fear of dying. I try and figure out like, why am I scared? But it's like that fear. I don't know. It's like this weird, I talked to um, one of our calls with Kyle Kingsbury as well as I was like, dude, like, why do I have this anxiety before I do this stuff? He's like, you know, he's like, it's normal. You gotta, you gotta make sure like do something like yoga, breath work before, you know, because there's so many things that I want to try, but I have this like weird 
feeling from back in the day when I got like anxiety attacks from smoking too much weed, from doing too much party drugs. And in my brain, I'm thinking, oh shit, I can't, I don't ever want to feel like that again. Where it's like you feel you're going to go into this space of like a panic attack. And I guess now that, that still, these days, I'm still like, whenever I go and think about doing something, I'm like, shit, is that going to happen? Even though I'm a completely different person. Maybe that's something I need to heal itself. Right. right? I was going to say that, like, try to, I feel like for me, I was very fortunate in the sense that I was ready to die when I did a crazy psychedelic. So I was in that space, like, I don't care if it kills me, like, let's go, you know, but, um, now or like for what i would say to other people is if you're if you have that fear of dying like we're all going to die right yeah. like an existential fear that all of us share together but i would invite you to lean into it instead of trying to like keep it away because i feel like the more we try to keep it away the more like it builds that anxiety and then like nothing really happens it just feels shitty and if you like lean into it like get curious like how crazy can we get it you know (laughs) like yeah lean into it usually the moment that you start to lean into it it disappears you know so it releases and so i would invite you to get curious dive in there if you start to feel like you're going to die, die. Well, that's the thing. It's like, (laughs) I was trying to unpack this and think about, and I'm thinking about it's, I I think most people can probably agree. The idea of death, I'm not scared of. It's like the the moment, the feeling that it's going to cause when you die. That's what I think people scared, we're scared of because we think of pain. We think, Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to go through this in order. And like, so there's this weird thing, which is, you know, because of the way we're raised with movies and you, everybody dies from this like painful experience, right? So it's not like the actual dying, that fear, like I'm not f- scared of that, but I guess it's like, well, what happens that moment before is what I'm scared of, like some sort of pain attached to it. But I don't know why, because anyways, that's a whole other thing. But I try and, I try and un- understand that, like, what is it about death that we all fear? You know, like what is the actual thing? It's, would you say, this is a whole rabbit hole, would you say it's just the pain that we associate with it? Or is it the next level of experience that's going to happen after? I feel what, like it's the unknown that's so scary. Like, what's going to happen? Nobody knows, you know? Like, that, part, that part doesn't bother me. Really? Yeah. Like, at all. Like, that, that part, especially now learning about this stuff, it's like, it's a, it's like a rebirth into something else. But like, I, I don't know. This is, this is why I think the talking about it is like even making me think, right? And I think most people listening or th- this stuff, we, we wonder like, why do we fear these things that we fear, right? Because a lot of our society was based all over religion, right? If you're good, you go to the heaven. If you're bad, you go to the hell, the lava. So I think that's like a weird thing that we're afraid of. And that's what's been kind of carved into our psyche yeah right and it's it's really fascinating yeah i feel like religion has it all wrong where i think heaven and hell really exists here on earth and you get to decide where you want to be and uh, i feel like the more you get curious and start asking yourself the questions and like really giving yourself the space to think about it and come up with your own answers like you know whatever is true for you I think that will help clear up a lot of that anxiety. So last question, wrap it up. (laughs) What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Oh gosh. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Resilience, I guess. Um, You know, just not giving up even when you're in the face and it feels like there's absolutely no hope left. There's always hope if you look deep inside yourself and like, don't give up. Love it. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. <laughs> You're so Thanks great to that. talk to. I'm so glad we got to connect. Me too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, it was an absolute, absolute pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. If you can, please leave us a review on Apple. It's really, um, I really want to start getting more reviews on there. Um, and I just like to see what people are saying, right? Whatever you can do to, you know, show that you got value or if you enjoyed it, um, I really, really appreciate it. Also hit that subscribe button. Make sure you stay on top of the episodes. And yeah, guys, as I said in the in the intro to this, everything that we talk about is just to is just to show you one specific story on how this stuff has worked. Psychedelics, plant medicine is not for everybody, and it's not for take. You can't take it lightly. It's no joke. So make sure that if you are going to explore the stuff that you do your research and that you feel called to do it, don't be forced at all to do it and, and just get curious because it could be something that could help you. And it could, it's, it's also, it's also a very, um, humbling road. So, um, you know, it can definitely put you in check very quickly. So keep, be mindful, just be smart, do your research. I appreciate you guys. Have a great day, everybody.